2: It was when you came on your official visit they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and
1: uh, the old school Notre Dame and you got the
0: and there's a Now that's
2: a follow up <laughs> question Eric Hansen That's a heck of a follow up question right there If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them man it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are that, that'll always be the same But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the
1: wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh,
0: Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you are probably costing me around a drink.
2: From the South Bend Tribune and
1: ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen.
2: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for NB Insider and South End Tribune. Game week is here. Notre Dame will host Duke on Saturday, and a season that seemed unlikely earlier this year will finally get underway. Uh, to look ahead at Saturday's game and the rest of the season for the Irish, we're continuing our ACC Network tour, and today's guest is former Notre Dame basketball player Jordan Cornett, who hosts the huddle on ACC Network. You can catch the huddle on Saturdays from 10 a.m. to noon. Jordan, thanks for joining us.
1: Guys, thanks for having me on. It's kind of wild to think we're just a a couple sleeps away from this season really getting going. Uh, Didn't know if we'd quite get here, but here we are, and I'm as excited as any.
2: Jordan, I wanted to start with uh, some ACC Network talk first. As a Notre Dame grad, how enjoyable has it been to see Irish football kind of invade the ACC Network football coverage?
1: I'll tell you, Tyler, with all that's gone wrong in 2020 – And some people, depending on who you ask in the Notre Dame fan base, might consider this another negative with Notre Dame playing in this conference. But for me, it's nothing but positive. I'm over the moon. Um, To be able to cover a conference that, you know, my basketball family's been a part of um, for some time now, and now having football join in a mix in such a a crazy chaotic season adds more intrigue and naturally adds more eyeballs. So it's a win-win for me to be able to cheer on my team, but also – you know, respecting my journalistic side, be neutral while discussing them on the airwaves.
0: Jordan, I've got to ask you a basketball question. And because of the news coming out of the ACC today that the ACC is proposing to have every team in the NCAA <laughs> tournament, and I kind of wondered what your thoughts were on that.
1: Well, I think, you know, in the social media world we live in, it's usually the headlines, Eric, are what grab people. And the fine print we get to later. And the fine print is as important with this one as the headline. To me, it could work um, depending on, you know, first, what are the limitations that these athletic directors are hearing from their university presidents, stuff that these coaches are running into that prohibit them from having a season that they would ultimately desire to have, what's within their control. Um, If this is something that is the best case payoff because of those limitations, Well, then I kind of get it. I mean, I'm hearing a lot about these holiday bubble tournaments that are things we're going to see out of the gates to kind of set the table for a season. It's not going to be like a traditional season we've seen in the past, but with those bubbles, then I I guess, are those games the ones that we use to define a a resume and to then uh, seed these teams The 351 of them. There's a lot of questions. I think they're still hashing it all out, but What I have heard from a lot of coaches I've talked to is there's a lot of chaos going on right now.
0: (laughs) Welcome to 2020.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Exactly.
2: (laughs) Only fitting. Uh, Switching back to football, I'm curious, what is your sense of how the ACC programs view Notre Dame's one-year football contract? Do they think it's a precursor of something more, or do they understand that it's unlikely to become a full-time thing?
1: I think a lot of them are – Chomping at the bit to get a piece of Notre Dame, to be quite honest. I think we, as Notre, as you guys cover in Notre Dame, uh, me having having uh, played sports there before, I, I think that there's there's a lot of hatred for Notre Dame for how they for how they uh, have their own kind of set up their own flexibilities and independent on the football side, and I think a lot of these as I talk to analysts as I hear from players. I even hear from coaches. I think a lot of them are thinking, well, why does Notre Dame get to do this? Why are we extending a hand to a university that's prided itself on being independent? Well, it seems like in this COVID era, they've had to be dependent. That's kind of the, the emotion I've heard. Uh, it's been commonplace in people I've talked to. So they want to go out there and say, hey, you want to join our conference? Well, you're not just going to steamroll through this thing. And it's interesting because there's a lot of teams in this conference that are very dangerous this year. Not all of them on the schedule for Notre Dame but a great deal of them are. Um, as I look at it, North Carolina is going to be a, a very interesting matchup for them. Florida State, obviously Clemson. Louisville is a team that's not on the schedule, I don't believe, but they are a very dangerous team as well this year. Um, so there's a lot of intrigue coming into this season. Ultimately, everyone talks about Clemson and Notre Dame for obvious reasons, especially after the CFP from a year ago losing 30-3. to um, but there's – it's a deeper conference than it's been. The ACC is on an uptick this year, and all of them want a piece of Notre Dame.
0: You know, I have to look at the schedule every day, Jordan, just because of how much it's changed, but they actually do play Louisville. And
1: yeah, I- Louisville is still on a schedule. That's yeah. what I thought. So you all do right. still
0: have Louisville on there. So – but it, it's interesting. We had Eric McLean on Pot of Gold last week. I'm sorry and, about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting. He seemed to really kind of respect what Notre Dame could do in the conference. And then I heard Mark Richt on radio yesterday, who's also part of your – one of your colleagues and part of your huddle program, I believe. Um, did I get that right?
1: Yes. Yeah, he's part okay. of the huddle as well. Yeah. And, 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 and Manuel
0: rounds out the group. And he seemed like – Notre Dame better watch it because uh, they're probably going to get nicked a few times in the ACC. So do you think the ACC is maybe underestimating how good this Notre Dame team is, or do you think Notre Dame could be underestimating how good the ACC is?
1: Well, yeah, that's a great question, Eric. And Coach Rick posed a great point. Like Notre Dame coming in, the ACC football-wise hasn't garnered a lot of respect in these last few years outside of Clemson football being the gold standard. And because of that, I think Coach Rick's thought was, you know, if Notre Dame comes in here knowing the expectations as high as they are with that fan base in Notre Dame, just keep in mind, a lot of people, as we well know, weren't the biggest fans of Brian Kelly and the job he was doing. And if you look at his body of work in the last few seasons, coaches would give their right arm to have that kind of record in what Brian Kelly's achieved. So I think it puts into perspective how lofty expectations are in South Bend. Coach Richt was kind of playing to those expectations, saying, well, I can't imagine Notre Dame's fan base has a high respect for what the ACC's done as a conference in the last few years. So if you're doing what we call – I've been calling a study abroad year for Notre Dame, if they were to come into this conference and and not show well in the one year of a conference that hasn't been up there with the SEC and the the Big Ten in the last couple years of the Big 12 – then it's going to be a bad look, and it's going to bring on a lot of smack talk, a lot of questioning from the fan base, and a lot of anger. And I think that was an interesting thing that Coach Rick brought up because it's kind of sneaky. It's a sneaky good year for the ACC. Notre Dame fans haven't been dialed into ACC football like that. So all they're expecting is to go in there, beat everybody, and then really have that litmus test against Clemson. It's not just going to be that this year. I think there's going to be – a rude awakening when you see some of those schools like Louisville, like North Carolina, and Sam Howe, who had one of the best freshman seasons that you could possibly have as a quarterback, what Coach Satterfield's doing there at Louisville, and the belief that Coach Norvell can turn that thing around. There's a lot of talent down there at Florida State. So I think it's a danger of, hey, don't think you're cruising in here to dominate. It could be – there could be some obstacles. And if there are, how's that going to be received by the fan base?
2: Playing off those expectations, do you, is, it, is it fair to say that this season is a disappointment if Notre Dame doesn't at least make it to the ACC championship game?
1: Yeah, see, and, that, and Tyler, that's a, it's a great question. To me, I breathe, breathe a big sigh of relief if Notre Dame got there. I think it's going to be Clemson and Notre Dame, or yes, excuse me, Clemson and Notre Dame, but North Carolina has so much coming back on, on, on the offensive side of the ball It's a defense that is improving, and it's a strong defense. But offensively, I think it's the best offense in the ACC. That's North Carolina we're talking about. So with Notre Dame, a team defensively uh, that I'm not quite sold on yet, I guess I'm more confident on on the defensive side than the offensive side for the Irish. Um, But when you have a test like that, getting by North Carolina is going to be paramount to them. So I I look at it and say – They can get past North Carolina. You tell me that's a win on the schedule, then I'd put Notre Dame and Clemson right there. I think to answer your question, short form, it'd be a disappointment to the fan base, but I'm keenly aware that that is within the realm of possibility that they don't make it there. I have them pegged for it right now, but it's not going to be smooth sailing.
0: Jordan, if I remember right, you played high school basketball at a football powerhouse. Now, you guys are really good in basketball too, but – Saint X, did you or your brother Joel ever venture down the football road at all? Joel looked like he could play.
1: Yeah, Joe, Joe, my brother Joel, may he rest in peace. Joey definitely could have played. He 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 didn't. He played a little bit in grade school. Never really clicked for him, so he focused on basketball. I was a baseball basketball guy, and if you can believe this, there was a time where I wish I could have put on weight, and that was a time when I was in high school. I was a stick, so I didn't want to mess with it. On that front. But let me also correct you, Eric, in case some of my Cincinnati people are listening. I know they're diehard Notre Dame fans. We were we became a football powerhouse during that time. We did win the only state championship in basketball in the history of the program. So we were getting things done there. But no, I, I never did it. My, my first true love was baseball, actually. And I thought I'd go on the baseball realm. But then when I realized specializing in something had a benefit, I had to give it all up once I realized I could hit a curveball and really focused in on basketball. Couldn't hit a jump shot either, so I really don't know what the hell I'll do.
2: <laughs> but, uh, which Notre Dame player, Jordan, are you most anxious to to sort of watch and track this season?
1: Oh, Braden Lindsay, no question. Uh, once he threw on that, that zero jersey, I was just kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, this guy's got some some big plans. I know his old man Melvin a little bit. Um, we had some ties back when the Lindsay family lived in Cincinnati, uh, when Braden was uh, maybe – I don't even think he was a thought yet at that point. I don't even think he was breathing on this, on this earth when I knew his father. Um, but I, I think he's in such a prime position. When you've got a dark horse candidate at the he- that's a Heisman dark horse, and Ian Book, and Ian Book losing so many of his weapons from a year ago, he's going to try and find a guy that he can count on, that he can go to. I think Brayden Lindsay can be that guy for this team. And I'll do you one better by throwing in another guy that I'm really curious to see just because of what he's shown us in years past and is, is he healthy enough to, to improve upon what were dismal numbers last year? Jafar Armstrong. I mean, I'm really excited to see uh, what he can return to. If some he can give you some sort of return to form there in that backfield. Those are the two guys on the offensive side of the ball that I'm really keyed in on.
0: Jordan, I'm going to piggyback on the Braden Lindsay thought uh, in this vein. Braden has been – one of the more outspoken guys on the team, at least lately in terms of the social justice movement, he had a post the other day that one of his own cousins was telling him, just run your routes. And he said, I'm not going to do that. But as a, a college athlete today, and you having been a college athlete, what's the proper balance? Because I think there's an incredible opportunity for change in our country. And yet, how do you balance that with, people that say, just run your routes and I want to be diverted during, you know, I want to, I don't want to think about serious things when I'm watching football.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a fair gripe from those who don't want to hear it. But what I can tell you from the marginalized group is they don't care what people want to hear and what they don't. And so to me, what I'd say to any of these young athletes, they're going out there and want to have their voice and want to make change for one Be well versed. Make sure you're educated on everything before you just go out there recklessly on a platform. Do the due diligence. Yes, you're already a person of color, so you have the understanding, but understand that your words carry a lot of weight on that platform. So make sure you're not in the middle of the night when you're really emotional just throwing something out there. Put real thought into your words and back them up with action. And also do your job. You know, you have to do your job first. I'm in sports television. I would love to get up on my platform and talk about how I've been marginalized as a black man in this country, but I also am paid to do a job. So I have to fulfill the expectations of my job for these players. It's being a teammate while also finding time to do that. If you want to be an activist and want to be a voice, I'm fully supportive of that. I think it's great. I think it's necessary, but also don't let that take away from the job you're also supposed to be doing. So no, I don't want anybody to shut up and dribble. I don't want anybody to shut up and run their routes I want everybody to do their due diligence before they decide to opine on these topics because they're sensitive issues, and I want the best representation as possible coming out, not just people that feel like, oh, I need to be heard. Well, say something of substance and also back it up with action. A lot of people want to get on their Twitter timelines and say stuff. What are you doing inside your community to help? So let's really enact some change, too, besides some baseless words to get a couple likes and retweets. It's not about likes and retweets. It's about a movement. It's about real change. And to me, it shouldn't be a distraction within your team because I like to think these young men pick that team because they feel protected and safe there. They feel like it's a family atmosphere. It's why I picked Notre Dame. And with my family, I would never feel like I'm a distraction by speaking up on things I think are wrong or unjust. unjust. And I would expect the same kind of feeling within that Notre Dame football family as one I experienced with the Notre Dame basketball family. So by all means – uh, I think the, these young men and women should have their voices heard, but do it responsibly.
2: Jordan, what, did, what have been your thoughts on how the, the football program and just Notre Dame as a whole, the athletic department, has sort of amplified the voices of those players and, and shared their messages on social media and used their website, UND.com, to sort of allow these guys to, to take this platform publicly. Does it, Does that feel like something that would have been possible when you were a student-athlete, or does you feel like there's been an evolution that has led to something like this?
1: There's been an evolution, and I'll be quite frank here, guys. Look, it's a podcast, so I I know we can be a little bit more real here, but I think Notre Dame missed its mark when I was there. I, I don't think that, you know, the black athletes felt fully comfortable in the world that they lived in there at Notre Dame and experienced things that I don't think athletes should experience. And I don't fully know if the entire university had the backs of those athletes to make them feel most comfortable. It was lacking in awareness. It was also 2005. Does that make it right that the awareness was lacking? Absolutely not, but it was a sign of the times. And I think what what's happening now in 2020, people are starting to open their eyes. And 2020 is the year of clear vision, is what Tommy Amaker, the head coach of Harvard Basketball, shared with me one day. And it kind of stuck with me, clear vision 2020, that year. And it's all coming together. And I think you know, I don't expect you guys to understand the, the full plight of a black person. You shouldn't. I don't understand the full plight of a white man. I don't understand the full plight of a of a woman. I think it's it's not expecting everybody to get everything right away, but to have the eagerness to want to listen and learn and ultimately uh, adjust in ways from maybe from your past, not you guys specifically obviously, but people in their past that maybe say, I probably didn't approach that right or I probably had blinders on there or I probably should have been a little bit more open-minded and understanding. It's not like anybody's asking to be given the world. They're just asking for civil rights, equality, and justice. I don't think we're, we're we're going out there demanding the world. We're just saying let's make it an even playing field so everybody can do this thing. And Notre Dame has done a phenomenal job of beginning, beginning, beginning. Excuse me, beginning uh, the stages of learning and listening and being more aware.
0: Jordan. Beyond just the social justice voices, athletes in 2020 kind of not only found their voice, they found their power. There seems like there's a lot more empowerment for the college athlete and that there's going to be as we move forward, they're going to have a greater voice and things, not just social justice, but in how they're treated and, and so forth. Why didn't this happen sooner, do you think? And and do you think that this is all a positive movement with with the empowerment? Or do you think there are some cautionary tales that may be ahead with it?
1: You know, Eric, I, I think it's a, it's a solid point. I think there are some cautionary tales. And that's why, you know, when you guys asked me about the athletes using their voice, I think you got to be responsible. It can't just be a free-for-all just because we've got – these athletes have the ears of the suits or – the, the the people that previously held the power it can't just be oh let's go take what we want here let's give us a give us this give us that it has to be you know well thought out it has to be a cerebral within its approach it has to be logical and it has to make sense where everyone says yeah that is something that these athletes do deserve I, I think taking it too far and, and being too aggressive with it is not the play but I think we can all agree maybe we don't all agree but Uh, I I think that there is starting to become a a bigger awareness of, Hey, maybe the athletes aren't getting absolutely all they deserve. Now, I don't think that's uniform in a belief. I think there's a lot of people that think they've got a scholarship they get to, that's paid for, room and board is paid for. Those are hex, that's a heck of an opportunity. I I differ in that way. Um, To me, ultimately, I do think that the athletes having this power is impressive more than anything, because when I was 18 to 22, I didn't fully understand being a role model in any sense of the word at that point, or even understanding that, um, you know, people were watching my move and I could be somebody who had real influence. I was also a guy who averaged five points per game. So mm-hmm. there's guys like a Chris Thomas, a Maddie Carroll, a Chris Quinn. Those guys have real influence because they're stars. Grown men and women even pay attention to what they're doing because of their abilities. And when you have that power, you want to harness that in the proper way. And I think we're seeing that from a lot of athletes out there. I think of Marvin Wilson at Florida State. He was the guy who called out things that were going on there and said, that's not true. Not everybody reached out to us. And we won't play until the proper things are addressed. And that's what they did down there. And then it came full circle with Marvin Wilson when athletes were saying they weren't being safe with the COVID testing in Tallahassee. He rallied the guys around and said, that's not true. Our our staff here is doing everything they can to keep us safe. So I think we got to be weary of saying, if an athlete steps up and speaks, he's a threat or he's dangerous. Because clearly Marvin was a guy that's calling it as he sees it. He's calling balls and strikes. And for him to come out there and say, hey, this was wrong. But no, they're saying this was wrong. This was actually right. Shows that they're making the proper judgment. Not only is that one of the best players in the conference, He's become one of those strong voices. And you can go across the league and look at him. Trevor Lawrence, as a white man, has, has been, uh, his acute understanding of all this has been impressive. I think we're starting to understand that this next generation, it's okay to give them a little bit of power. They kind of know to a degree what they're doing here. But I think working in concert is something that has been huge and I haven't seen in years past.
2: Jordan, I want to shift gears a little bit for one last question from me. Um, Ian Book and Brian Kelly have sort of described his situation on campus um, and a- around the program right now where he's, he's kind of isolated and that he comes to campus for practice and then basically goes back off campus to his home. Um, is taking classes online and, and they're making a conscious effort to make sure that he's not going to get caught up in any sort of contact tracing uh, to be sidelined. From an athlete's point of view, do you think that would be helpful in any way to sort of be isolated and not get caught up in the buzz that goes on campus and anything else on campus, or would that isolated feeling maybe be detrimental to an athlete?
1: That's, I mean, I I keep saying good questions. Shit. You guys got a lot of them here. Excuse (laughs) my language. They're really good questions, but Tyler, it's spot on, man. I I mean, look, we watched Paul George uh, a week before the boycott in the NBA in response to Jacob Blake. uh, So seemingly, unrelated who really knows but a professional basketball player one of the greats in the league Paul George basically addressing his poor performances in that bubble saying I was in a dark place you know I, I just I was really down it's really hard in here it's challenging mentally and that was affecting my play I was in a dark place it's a grown man that's a father that's a professional making millions so that is definitely something I worry about for these young men is the mental health aspect of it. I know Notre Dame's doing everything they can to best prop them up on that front, I would hope. But when you talk about being isolated like that, that is a danger. Guys can get too much inside their own heads. They can get to a dark place. That can affect them on the field, but more importantly, can affect them in their maturation from a young man to becoming a full-on adult. So there's some concern there. On the other side of it, though, it probably does benefit Ian Book a little bit. You know, not to have the, the, the young men and women on campus tapping you on your back saying, it's your year, man. You're the Heisman. I mean, when you're isolated from that stuff, that normal campus life, it takes some of that anxiety away of having to be the man and, and quite frankly, gets you away from some of that buzz where you just go out there and play. I'm watching professional athletes have some of the most phenomenal performances, and I'm convinced – It's because that gene that the true superstars have where all the energy, all those people watching, all those eyeballs, that pressure in those moments they can still deliver. That's gone. Now I know the students are going to be there and the families are going to be there, but they're not playing in front of 100,000. Now it's truly more about the skill. That differentiator of that gene that calms those incredible stars down in that moment is gone. It's really just if you're talented enough, go out there and execute. But the pressure's – that typically come with the sport, those are kind of obsolete
0: this year. Jordan, I guarantee you this is going to be the best of our questions. <laughs> and I have one more after it. Where can we see you, hear you with your ACC network stuff and everything else you're involved with?
1: Hey, I appreciate that, man. That is the best question. A self-plug is always crucial, right, there. <laughs> um, you know, for me, I'm also doing some radio I was working with Sarah Spain for the last year or so, but given this new football gig, I could no longer meet those requirements. So in a kind of cool twist, me and my wife, Shea, uh, who covered the Bears for Fox 32 in Chicago for the last few years, and uh, in a leap of faith, gave that up to come out here with me, hoping to get on somewhere up here. We were able to get a radio show, uh, working together nationally on ESPN Radio, Sundays one to five. Uh, so that's my Sundays, my Saturdays on the huddle, We'll be doing our pregame show uh, 10 to 12, uh, 10 to 12 a, 10 to 12, so 10 to noon Saturdays leading into the first games of the day. Uh, then we're there all day at the desk on ACC Network, hitting the halftimes, postgame shows, fill shows, and then to wrap the night with a show of its own. So I get in there at 9 a.m., I leave there at midnight. So I'll be all over the ACC Network television wise on Saturdays working with that crew. And you can catch me during the week during our all-ACC 30-minute to an hour shows as well. So uh, the vacation is over. We are right back into it and grinding, and I couldn't be more excited.
0: Okay, the last one from me is this. The 18- to 22-year-old Jordan Cornett. Uh Let's say you were a football player. Would you have sided with what the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC is doing and say, let's try this, or would you rather – the big 10 pack 12 approach and say, let's wait to spring and see how this shakes out. And would, would the version of yourself now see that any differently?
1: Yeah. You know, 18 to 22 year old me thinks I'm invincible. Thinks I live forever. Thinks not, thinks there's no real threats out there and, and you're so wired and locked into your craft at that age where it's all that matters. So to me, I would have played with a pre-existing condition uh, and I'm not saying that as a joke I'm not taking that lightly I understand what that means I'm just saying that's why it's critical for the real decision makers to have the best interest in mind of these athletes because me like them blindly just want to play for love of the sport to go out there and make their family and friends proud and to pay off all their hard work I mean we're talking about playing in front of national audiences and pay off what you what you love doing more than anything so naturally that's where it all goes that's where I would be too I'd want to play So I'd want to be one of those power threes that is in right now. Credit to the Pac-12 for being very transparent with why they made their decision. And that's what's got the Big Ten into some trouble there. The the message was a little murky in the beginning, and now it's pure chaos. And I don't know who to point the finger at, but everybody's doing a good job of pointing the finger in the Big Ten right now. Fast forward to me right now at this point in my life, I I think about if that were my son, I would would be a little bit more – I'd have some trepidation, to be quite honest. I would really have to to see with my own eyes what the testing protocol is, uh, how how lodging is going, um, the faith in the coaching staff to look out for the best interests and be transparent with me about what my son has going on on that campus before I felt safe. Because I don't know if every campus is doing this the right way. You would hope they are. I haven't heard reports that they aren't. But there, there are stories out there. Oklahoma football is not going to share their numbers. Well, I hope they're sharing that with the families. I hope that there's some transparency there. To me, I just would have to really lean into the trust of the people on the campus uh, that my son is playing the sport before I make that, that decision. But I can tell you this. It's not just cut and dry. Yeah, let's trot them out there and play. Because there's so much unknown with this. And that's just – there's no right answer. And that's, that's the most real thing. Uh, that anybody can say here is, we don't know if the ACC is right. We don't know if the Pac-12 is right. Only time will tell, but we can only trust that they're um, operating in the safest manner to ensure that these athletes are in good hands.
2: All right, Jordan, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and we'll be seeing plenty of you on the ACC network this season.
1: Tyler, Eric, really appreciate it, guys. Be safe. See you soon.
2: Now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame Duke. First one I have for us, Eric is over under 14 and a half touches for Kyron Williams.
0: Well, touches is tricky because I think he is going to get some opportunities in the pass game. If it were just touches in the run game, that this would be a super easy question. You look at Notre Dame's, you know, carries for their leading leading carrier in a game last year. And here was the, Totals, 15, 9, 9, 18, eight, 25, 8, 19, 12, 9, 15, 14, and 11. That stunned me. I, I, I didn't remember. I, I think um, Dexter had a lot more games of more than 15 carries. Right. But I don't see Kyron Williams as that kind of player. I think they're still going to be a share. They're going to want to see some Chris Tyree, and they're going to want to see – the other guy. So I'm going to go under on this one. Yeah, I
2: went under as well. I think um, the rotation and also, I think the chance of it becoming a lopsided game um, could limit the opportunities. I don't know that that you're going to want to be given. uh, Kyron Williams, a lot of carries in the fourth quarter, perhaps of this game. Um, So I will go under, um, but maybe, uh, maybe it'll go differently. I think we're all kind of uh, walking into this a little bit tentatively or hesitantly and seeing, okay, well, what, how much do they really trust Kyron Williams and how much is he going to be the guy in this offense? Next one I have for us is over under 50 rushing yards for Ian Book.
0: Well, last time Notre Dame played Duke, Ian had his career high in rushing yards. I think it was 139. And that's the third most for a Notre Dame quarterback since 1996. I don't see him getting 139. I would think that Duke, made some adjustments and how they're going to deal with Ian in the running game. I also think that Tommy Reese isn't going to be real eager to give Ian that many carries. I think they'd have to be scrambles. Um, and so I'm going to go under 50 and I just think he's not going to get as many opportunities.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I think 50 is, is a hard number because I feel like he could get a couple long runs and be at 50 pretty quick. Um, based off of what it looked like when he was running the ball last year against Duke. Um, But I I think Duke is going to be more conscious of that, and I think uh, Tommy Reese and and Notre Dame are going to be more conscious of making sure Ian Book gets through this season healthy. And so I don't know that they're going to want to have to rely on his legs too much, um, especially early on against Duke. Next one I have for us is over under 215
0: passing yards for Duke. Well, Duke was only – at the 215 mark or higher three times last year, although they didn't have Chase Bryce as their quarterback. I, I like their tight end a lot. I think their receivers are decent. I also think Notre Dame's going to have a good pass rush, and their pass defense is has been kind of their signature as far as defense, even though they lost a lot of people. So I'm going to say under on the two, 215 for Duke passing yards. I'm going
2: to go with over, I think, um, as I hinted earlier, with it potentially being lopsided. I think that will give Duke plenty of of attempts in terms of passing, trying to catch up late in the game. But I also think um, Chase Bryce is a a solid quarterback, and then there could be some uh, inconsistencies with Notre Dame secondary with with guys playing new positions and and taking on new roles um, and playing together for the first time. So I think there might be a a lapse in coverage here or there that, that allows for Duke to get some yardage. Um, I don't know if they're going to go way past 215 passing yards, but I will go with over. Uh, Next one is over under two and a half sacks for Duke.
0: I'm going to go under. I think if this, I, I think Duke has some good, really good edge people. In fact, the whole ACC has a lot of good defensive linemen. I think that's one of the reasons that they're going to surge in terms of better overall team play and teams, you know, they're not going to just have Clemson, Notre Dame, and everybody else. And Chris Rumpf is really good. But if Notre Dame's offensive line is as good as I think they're going to be, they're not going to give over – they're not going to give two-and-a-half sacks or more (laughs) against anybody this year. And so I'm going under. Yeah, I think
2: – I believe Duke averaged close to three sacks last year. Um, so that's why I put the number high. And, I, and Notre Dame's offensive line in previous years hasn't necessarily come out firing in terms of its pass protection. It's been a bit sloppy early in, in the seasons at times. Um, but I think uh, that I'll still go with the under. I, Book's decision-making helps a lot against that talented Duke defensive front. And so if they are getting some pressure – I think he's going to find ways to avoid it and get rid of the ball or, or scramble if needed. Um, so I think they will be able to uh, limit Duke to, to uh, two or fewer sacks.
0: Next one, who will score the first touchdown of the season for Notre Dame? Wow. I'm going to go with Ian Book. I think that their first opportunity will be a short goal line run, and they're going to want to show that this offensive line can do things that last year's offensive line couldn't do. And that's exert their will in third and short or goal line situations. So I'm going with a book quarterback sneak. All right. I'm going
2: to go with Chris Tyree because Notre Dame fans will freak out and be so excited. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of hedging my bets from early in the year where I was like, we need to to pump the brakes at Chris Tyree where it seems based off of how things have gone in the camp that Chris Tyree is going to have plenty of opportunities this season. Um, You're pumping the gas pedal now. <laughs> so now I'm pumping the gas pedal. I'm I'm actually probably asked to pump the gas I don't get a drive anymore. I have to, I have to just pump the gas. <laughs> uh, we're gonna. We're, I'm gonna go out there and say Chris Tyree scores the first time. And then last one, of course, is a final score prediction for Notre Dame Duke. I'm
0: gonna go thirty-one thirteen Irish. All right, and I will go with Notre Dame
2: thirty-eight Duke seventeen. So um similar margin for us um but i think uh names should be able to control this one and uh we will see um some actual football on saturday so i know we're all very excited about that now it's time for questions just tell me when you guys are we done with usc
0: everybody's done. you guys are kidding me that's all you want to talk about
2: all right let's go you can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at E. First one is from at NDF underscore Discord. What percentage of Notre Dame's offensive plays do you think will feature all three of ND's listed wide receiver starters on the field at the same time against Duke?
0: And how many total wide receivers do you think will play against Duke? There's a lot of math in those questions. <laughs> and. The second part for me is easier. I took a stab at the percentage of plays with Javon McKinley, Ben Skronik, and Avery Davis. I put it at 20%, and that's probably a little high. But I think early in the game, they're going to want to establish a rhythm with those guys, so they'll probably stick with them before they start to rotate. Uh, But we're going to see a lot of two tight ends. We may see two running backs – I am worried that my, my estimate is a little high there, but I'll blame it on my math skills. (laughs) And then with wide receivers, you know, there's 10 healthy wide receivers right now. I think eight of them will play. I I think the only ones that they're not going to really push to get into the game are Micah Jones and Jay Brunel. Um, with, with this kind of being a free year, um, there's not the need to limit people to four games, right. redshirt games. So I think they're going to be eager to take a look at Xavier Watts and Jordan Johnson. So look, I think they'll get down to number seven and eight.
2: Yeah, I, I went with seven uh, for that. Um, I'm not sure if if Johnson and and uh, Watts will both get in the game. So that's why I went with seven, just thinking that maybe just only one of them will get in. Um, but in terms of the the percentage of, for that those three starters will play in Skoronic, uh Davis and McKinley, I think it'll be like around fifteen percent, um, and that's partially because of just the different personnel groupings that they're going to use. They're not always going to run three wide receivers out there, and then even when they do run three wide receivers, it's, I don't think it's going to always be those guys. Um, I think um, part of I think part of the anxiety is that the depth chart has come out the first real – we haven't been able to, like, tell them what the depth chart is because we weren't at practice. And so the depth chart came out for real for the first time right before the week – or right before the first game, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to see Javon McKinley ahead of Brayden Lindsay all the time? And I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case. Um, so, yeah, there was a
0: lot of panic in my chat yesterday.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think Lawrence Keyes will get opportunities too, uh, though I think Avery Davis has a real chance to um, make an impact this year and finally settling in a position – um, so I, I think there's going to be a lot of guys moving in and out of there, so there's going to be a number of different lineups, um, and I think you could probably even say the same about the tight end position as well. Next question is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. Any ideas on what's going on with Jack Lamb? It seems weird he's not on the depth chart after playing well last year.
0: Well, you know, I, we're going to kind of get into these situations, although once we play games, there's going to be less of this. Not having a question at, answered about that in a press conference and not seeing any practices, we're guessing a little bit. My thought: he he still could end up being that third-down linebacker um, and have a role as he did early last season, where he's part of that dime package, where he was the only linebacker on the field. They may modify that a little bit and have. Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa and Jack Lamb on the field and Jeremiah just act more like a defensive back so I'm curious to see the first third down what that looks like but I wouldn't write him off just because those other two guys are co-starters doesn't mean Jack Lamb isn't a really good football player which I think he is.
2: Yeah it could go any number of ways the Shane Simon and Maris Lufau could could struggle at times and maybe that opens the door for Jack Lamb or maybe they don't see the need to include Jack Lamb on the depth chart as a buck linebacker because of his special role that he's going to play in a nickel or dime package. I don't, uh, I don't have a good answer for that right now yet. Um, I, but I think it's, it's, it's tough this year because when we haven't seen anything and I think a lot of people when they ask these questions um, it's almost like, are, are they, they're trying to see if we're going to say if the kid had COVID or was out because of COVID contract tracing. Um, and I think, Uh, it's hard for us to disclose that information unless a player or coach wants to, to go on the record about it. Um, I'm not necessarily aware of that being an issue for Jack, but I'm not saying that it wasn't either. So um, it's, it's, it's tough. It puts us in a tough spot without having the same sort of access to information um, and Notre Dame being um, careful in uh, not saying who is out because of COVID and that kind of thing. So um, I think that, that, that question comes in a lot of different positions. I think it, has probably played a role in the depth chart uh, going into this season, Um, but I don't uh, know that we're going to be able to sort of give you flat answers to those kinds of things.
0: One thing I also want to bring up, I I think people have forgotten how good of a prospect Shane Simon was coming out of high school. I remember Steve Wilfong from the national recruiting director for 247 Sports saying he was the jewel of the class, at least on the defensive side of the ball, there are some pretty good players in that class, including offensive players. So Shane Simon kind of living up to what he was supposed to be coming out of high school, I think, you know, isn't a knock on anybody else that was competing for that position.
2: Right. Yeah. And, and he's dealt with, he dealt with an injury issue last season as well. And now is, is back healthy and um, looking like he has a chance to maybe fulfill some of those expectations. Next question is from Adam Luce at ACO Luce. He had a couple questions um, and a few more that we had kind of discussed already. Um, so here are the two that le- were left standing. What roles do Ovi Gofu and Isaiah Foskey have in Notre Dame's defense? And what was so different from 2019 Kyron Williams to 2020 Kyron Williams?
0: Well, Ovi and uh, Isaiah are rush um, ends. They play behind Dalen Hayes. And so you'll see them rotate in. And Brian Kelly, in the few times that we've talked to him, he's made a point of being high on both those guys. They've come up, whether we've asked about them or not, they've actually come up in conversation. You know, and I think there's even a chance that on third down, Dalen Hayes may kick inside and one of those two play alongside Dalen Hayes as, as a defensive end. Uh, just to get a little bit more pass rush on the field. Um, So those guys are going to play a lot. I think Isaiah Foskey is going to be a star. I think Ovi has a chance to be a really good situational player uh, for Notre Dame. So I'm pretty excited about them. Kyron Williams, I had a chance to do a story about that, and I talked to a guy that trained him during the COVID shutdown time. You know, they had to be pretty creative in how they got together to train. Uh, But, you know, Kyron Williams lost weight. He got faster. He worked a lot on his speed. And I think a lot of it's confidence. He he kind of understood why he wasn't playing last year, addressed those deficiencies. And I think having Tommy Reese as the new offensive coordinator and not Chip Long again kind of helped him hit the reset button too. So you're just seeing – I mean, I expected Kyron Williams, and I think you did too, Tyler, to play a larger role last year. So I think we're just kind of seeing a delay in what we expected and and maybe a little bonus to it with him being at the top of the depth chart.
2: Yeah, I think last year he had a bit of a short leash and uh, wasn't able to necessarily work through some of the mistakes that you're going to see as a freshman. Um, And that is going to mask sort of the abilities that you have as a player because you just aren't being put in the positions that – allow you to succeed. And now he's getting those opportunities and we'll, we'll see if he can um, make that translate to, to game days. Um, As for the defensive ends, I think we're going to see a lot of both of those guys. Um, And I think we'll even potentially see Foskey at both sides of defensive end. I think his size profile, I think projects him as a strong side defensive end, just as it does as a weak side defensive end. So I think Notre Dame isn't going to be shy about being able to rotate him um, based on different opportunities and what, what the depth chart looks like and, and put different kinds of combinations of defensive linemen out there. So I think, um, I think he had, brings some versatility there. Um, and, and so does Ovi. Ovi brings versatility in that you, could, you can drop him back in coverage at times, um, and whereas I think uh, Isaiah is a guy where you can maybe move him along on the defensive line because he just has um, such uh, great size that, um, and strength that can allow him to take on more, more different roles. Next question is from Irish at Irish Zibby. Do you think Clarence Lewis starts at corner at some point this year? And if so, is that because of him overperforming or the other corners underperforming?
0: I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. And even though I kind of don't expect it, I think you could certainly have COVID-related things, injury-related things, um, and if he's an either-or in the opener. That's kind of a bold statement for Brian Kelly to make. If he's at that point in the opener, then I think he at some point is going to start a game. I, again, not having seen practice, I can't say that Tariq Bracey hasn't underperformed, but I know a lot of people on the beat think Tariq Bracey is one of the better players on the team based on what maybe they've heard from assistant coaches and so forth. So my sense is that Clarence has probably overperformed. I actually looked at Tyler James's film review today when I was prepping for a story I'm going to do on Clarence Lewis. And Tyler, way back when Clarence was a lowly three-star and he he stayed a three-star, Tyler was like, I can't believe this guy's not a four-star. He has the length and athleticism to be – uh, and an impact player, and I think that's what we're seeing. Paired with Mike Micken's track record of getting young players ready to play at that position.
2: Yeah, I've i made plenty of bad evaluations, but I was pretty proud of that one. That came before his senior year, even, so I was like, all right, already he's getting some praise here at Notre Dame. Uh, so obviously he's got he's got to live up to that here uh, to make me look smart. Um, but yeah, I think certainly he has has played well, and I don't know that I would describe it necessarily as overperformed but I think he's performed to a level that Notre Dame trusts him potentially to be a starter at the cornerback position I think it reflects a little bit poorly on Tariq Bracy because if he is as good as I thought he could be this season then it's probably not an or situation because Brian Kelly has to know that listing him as an or on the depth chart that we're going to ask about that and so th- there's going to be maybe cast some doubt on, on what Tariq Bracey's um, standing is at the cornerback position. But, but I think maybe more than anything that's impacted all of this is uh, the fact that there is some sort of instability at safety that led to Sean Crawford being uh, the starting strong safety. So it could, Because if he stays at cornerback, I'm not sure that there's as much of an opportunity for someone like Clarence Lewis to step up and be a guy in a potential rotation situation at cornerback if you would have Sean Crawford still at the cornerback position. Um, so I think – that has something to do with it as well and uh, good for Clarence Lewis uh, uh, to, to come in right away and, and kind of show that he can contribute and we'll see how much Notre Dame has to rely on him. Next one is an email from Ken in Pensacola. He says, can we expect a lot of position rotations in the games this upcoming season? And will any rotations come before Notre Dame has a safe lead?
0: Um, yeah. Uh, Brian Kelly talked about that. Now, Brian in his press conferences and Brian on game day usually isn't as rotation friendly on game day as he is in the press conference. But I think you will. I mean, it's certainly tight end, running back, wide receiver, um, defensive line, I think defensive backfield. The one maybe I wasn't buying as much as linebacker that there would be as much rotation there. Um, but certainly you'd have sub-packages which would get you some different people on the field. I don't think we'll see it on the offensive line. I think, you know, the one guy that they might work in is Josh Lugg a little bit, but I don't think they're going to force it unless the game gets to a point where you're putting second-teamers in all over the place. But, yeah, a lot of rotation on this team.
2: Yeah, it's, it's become a bit of a custom at defensive line that they're, you know, they're going to rotate guys. That's, that's how they want to play. Um, and I think there's been, it's been pretty clear throughout the preseason that that's what they're going to do at receiver and tight end and probably running back too. I think that's that's almost become commonplace as well at, at the running back position, though from time to time you'll get a number one running back that's in there a lot more than the others, but um, we, I'm not really sure how that kind of share is going to um, break out um, and if that changes as the season goes. Um, but, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of different guys, and I think – That's a good sign of depth, Um, but it also is a reflection on you don't necessarily have guys that you know for sure are way better than everyone else, Um, and so you have to keep them on the field, Um, and I think one guy that we thought could be like that is a guy like Kevin Austin, and he's not available yet, and so that could um, certainly um, change when he gets back on the field, that could maybe change how the wide receiver rotation works as well. Next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah 3. Do you think Notre Dame will have more than 175 rushing yards against Duke?
0: Well, last year, Duke was 87th in the country in rush defense at 188.6 a game. They started the year pretty strong and really faded. They gave up a lot of big rushing days in November, including 288 to Notre Dame in that 38-7 Duke loss uh, at Duke. So I, I'm going to say that, yeah, Notre Dame will get to 175 between the fact that I think Duke is set up better to defend the pass and the fact that Tommy Reese is going to want to kind of make a statement about Notre Dame's running game.
2: Yeah, to me, it's more of the latter. I think they want they want to set the tone um, and give the backfield some needed experience and let the offensive line sort of show its improvement and kind of make a statement in this first game. So that's where uh, I'm going with with over on that, and I think Notre Dame has the potential to get there pretty comfortably. Next question is from Brett Kovach. Would Chris Tyree have rushed for 300 yards at Notre Dame played Navy last weekend?
0: Well, I'm sure watching the game, it looked, probably looked like Tyler and I could have gotten 300 <laughs> yards against uh, Navy, but I don't think Chris Tyree would get enough carries to get to 300 yards. I, you know, I, But I think it's an interesting concept, but my answer is no. Well, you don't think four 75-yard touchdowns wouldn't get the job done? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure if he's going to get four carries in a game that's <laughs> 50-something to three. <laughs> yeah, that Navy's defense looked bad. and uh, I think they, I think we'd see a Sito Okwano and Kendall <laughs> Abdurrahman in a game like that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, we, that would have been a game where Mick Asaf would have really shined. He would
2: have had lots of carries in that game as well. Um, next question is from Kevin Calabria. When you first saw Ian Book with a mustache, did you recognize him? And at Phil Rister 4 asked, what impact do you think the removal of Ian Book's mustache will have on the season?
0: Of course, I recognized him. Um, <laughs> so, uh, although we haven't seen, I haven't seen Ian in person since 2019, I think. Oh, I guess I did see him. At the one spring practice, but, yeah. and I couldn't tell whether he had a mustache then. Um, <laughs> what impact will the removal have? Uh, I just don't think in the era of COVID, it's going to have any. You know, <laughs> I think only if Tyler and I removed our mustaches would that have an impact on the season.
2: Yeah, Ian. Ian's traditionally grown out a, a camp mustache, and uh, I had to ask yesterday since it it actually made it to the game week if he was going to let it stick around. And I thought it was kind of funny. He said that his mom uh, gets here into town on Thursday and so it'll be gone by then. Apparently his mom's not a big fan of the mustache. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, But yeah, I think uh, a lot of the guys like to do kind of funny things to kind of get themselves through camp. And uh, Ian Book has has opted with the mustache. And I think, uh, I think Ian Book can, can rock the mustache. Well, I think uh, it, it suits him. Um, but whatever he's comfortable with, uh, certainly I don't think anyone can complain about. Next one is from Kev at ND Rules 43. With Phil Dracovic transferring, exactly and honestly, how scary would it be at the quarterback position if Book happened to get injured?
0: Well, I think it depends on the opponent and depends kind of where we are in the season. Uh, I think if Bren Clark had a play against South Florida, I think Notre Dame would be fine and maybe even on the road at Wake Forest. Um, and I think there's teams that are in a, on the October-November schedule where it, it would be pretty scary. I, I like Brendan Clark's skill set. I like his potential. I just don't like how inexperienced he is. And and uh, so I think there's games where Notre Dame could be in trouble. The good thing is he would have a very veteran offensive line uh, in front of him. And that helps. Yeah. The the offensive line would help, but I, I think the inexperienced
2: skill players around him Mm -hmm. make it less likely for him to sort of thrive um, as an inexperienced quarterback, making decisions in a college football game for the first time, really. Um,
0: Travis Etienne on his team, that would help. (laughs) Right. Sure. Absolutely.
2: It would definitely, so it would definitely be a concern and, and exchange the expectations for the season. If, if Notre Dame were to lose uh, Ian Book. Um, I think Tommy Reese likes Brendan Clark, um, but he probably doesn't want to have to rely on him this season. They're, they're keeping Ian Book isolated uh, uh, on campus or off campus for a reason. So um, I think uh, Ian Book uh, will determine a, a lot of how this, this season plays out for Notre Dame. Next one is from at Fan 102 In the year of COVID, what's more important to a winning college football season?
0: A veteran team or raw talent? Well, I think both are important, but if I have to pick one, in the era of COVID, I'm picking veteran team. With all the weirdness, you know, with keeping your teammates accountable and making great decisions in terms of not exposing yourself to the virus, in terms of playing in front of in stadiums where there's either few fans or no fans, just the weird experience of going on the road in COVID, not being able to see your parents on the Friday night before the game. I think the veteran presence is going to steady a team. So that would be my pick.
2: Yeah, I agree with you on all of that. I think, uh, I think this season could be unpredictable, not necessarily for Notre Dame. Um, and not that I don't think it couldn't be unpredictable for Notre Dame, but I just think the college football season in general is going to be unpredictable because of the way everything is going on. Um, but veterans, if, if anyone's going to be able to provide that kind of consistency that's required, it will be the veteran players. So that's why I would opt to have veteran players. Now, obviously, you don't want a bunch of veteran scrubs. Or otherwise, uh, that's not necessarily going to help you. Um, but uh, I think the, vet, the experience is really going to be valuable this season. And then the last one, the big question from Ro Jogan at Jogan underscore Roe: what is the meaning of life?
0: Well, I have two answers to that. My first answer is avoid Buffalo wild wings, cauliflower wings at all costs. And then my serious answer is find your purpose in life, honor it and pursue it with a passion.
2: And my purpose in life is to avoid those wings. So I think those kind of overlap. Now, you did kind of ruin – I don't know that we're going to get B-dubs to sponsor our podcast now, so I don't know. Maybe we'll have to scrub this out if we ever have B-dubs wanting to come on board with an ad. But I went lighthearted and went to some of the T-shirts that my dad used to sport. My dad's a high school football coach, and his T-shirts that he used to wear said, football is life. And that's all you need to know. And football is here. So that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. We're changing things up a little bit this season with the Pot of Gold Extra Point. Tom Noy and Carter Carls will bring you some post-game reaction on Sundays. And the first one will come this weekend after Notre Dame Duke. Stick with NDInsider.com for all your Notre Dame football coverage needs all season long.